Most people give up and be so close. What does that quote mean to you? With Ray Bullock Jr. from Elevated Mentor, he co-hosts with me to present to you the second installment of Mental Mountains Volume 1, The Elevated Mind and Audio Experience. We discuss what this quote means to us within the lens of officiating through Tales of the Third Team. Most people give up and be so close. This quote resonates as we discuss not only the words through officiating, but also music, movies, and books. Be sure to look out for a new drop each week where we discuss another quote from the book. And now, the tales from the third team. Welcome to another edition of Tales from the Thirteen. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with my special collaborator, Ray Bullock Jr. from The Elevated Mentor. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. Happy um, almost 4th of July. Same to you. Cool, man. We were just talking off air about the pandemic and how I think that it's going to be more grim, but I, I don't even think that's a think. But onto more positive things. We just had our first airing last Sunday, uh, Mental Mountains Volume 1, The Elevated Mind. We had our first quote. How was your feedback on your end? Uh, it was great. We had a lot of good things. A lot of people said they, they can relate and they were able to take nuggets from the conversation. So I'm definitely happy about that. What about you? Yeah, it was nothing but great feedback, man. It was a good quote. And I think it was light on the officiating. I mean, obviously we talked about officiating, but just more about positivity and things that right. people could relate to. And I think that's what was really cool because I think people outside of officiating could have related to that, especially when we talk about movies and books and music quotes but that's going to be more in the same vein of what we're going to be doing now the second quote that i know that you wanted to speak on is most people give up and be so close and this has been my guiding principle for a very long time i always thought of myself as especially like in the beginning i don't know about you but i was a video game head growing up and as an only child i would always play with the cpu and i felt like if i played like nhl 92 i'd have to win 3-0 and if they scored a goal on me i'd have to press reset Right. So it'd be a situation where like I had to either be perfect or it just wasn't happening. And I think in the beginning of when you're growing up, just to piggyback on the first quote that we had, you don't have experience being resilient. You don't have experience how to deal with failure. And as you go through life, that's something that you're better equipped to handle. And I think a lot of people give up with certain things. So I guess my first question to you in the beginning stages of your formative life, what do you think was like the first thing that you have deep regret of giving up on something, even though you were probably so close and you didn't even realize how close you were. I'll probably say playing. I gave up entirely too soon. And it sounds strange because I played, you know, all the way up to a year of college. But my senior year of high school, I didn't want to do it. I just was doing it because the people on my team, we played basically eighth grade on up together, you know, varsity. But I was just burnt out, man. I was mostly burnt out because, again, back to these unrealistic goals. I don't know how it is now, but when I was growing up, we only believed that we can go to certain schools because they were on TV the most. So everybody wants to play at Carolina. Everybody wants to play at Duke. But you see it so much. So if you're a kid in high school and you're like, all right, I'm going to play in ACC, and you never get that offer. Then you neglect schools in the Big South or the NAAC or, you know, all these mid-major leagues. So, for me, I wasn't getting the looks that I wanted. So, I was like, man, I don't want to do this no more. It's just interesting that looking back on it now, it's just like, 
<laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> like, crazy. Do you have any moments like that where you can look back and say, that was an unrealistic expectation and I gave up on it for no reason? Man, a whole bunch of things. So I'm a little bit older than you, so just playing basketball in general, like if, first of all, if you were practicing, like at the park, you're weird, right? You just, you're supposed <laughs> to just get good when you're playing. And that's where the bragging rights come from. But nobody like took the time to like tell me. And, you know, I say nobody took the time as if like, I'm like, I'm blaming somebody else. It's definitely my fault. I never took the time to take a hundred jump shots. I remember one time <laughs> right. I was at the park. My backyard is the park. And I remember I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a hundred jump shots. I think after like the eighth one, I was like, this is boring. I'm not doing this. And you don't realize how, if you just had the work ethic of just getting through with that, who knows how far I would have gone, right? Because I had a little second life. I was definitely scrimmaging the Hofstra team when I was in my early 30s. And I was giving them the work, you know? And, and I would always tell them, like, you know, I'm I'm just a lowly alumni busting your ass. I don't know what <laughs> rank you're at. But, and it proved to me that if I just put my head down and I just applied those different things, I probably would have got so far. Other things that I could remember, I was, like, state-ranked in viola. I was really good at the piano. One thing I did quit early on was creative writing. And then somehow mm. I, I got a chance to pick it up when I was 21. So that's something that was kind of laid dormant. And I don't know if I, I can really consider it giving up, especially since I picked it up. You know, having said that, do you think that you gave up on something and then later in life picked up again? For me, it's always creating something. Like, for example, in college, me and two other friends we started our own online magazine so we did that for a while and then i had an online sneaker store did that for a while then i wanted to you know i really love music so it was this rapper from virginia beach i uh, helped him with a couple of albums and mixtapes so you can say i have executive producing on my resume mm. but i'm just that type of if i want to do it i just do it the only thing for me that in terms of creating that I'm consistent with is a fit when it comes to basketball, anything basketball related. But who knows if I would have kept with the magazine or the sneaker store, you know, you never know what would have happened, but I just like creating. So the only thing again, for me, that is a consistent, like I'm always going to come back to it is basketball. That love for basketball is something different. Do you think through the lens of officiating, do you think that most people give up and be so close and, I think it's an interesting thing to pose only because if you have a single-minded purpose of doing a certain thing, such as I want to get to the NBA, NBA is very difficult. I mean, there's less than 2,000 players that has ever played. So if you slash that by a fraction and you think that there's only 60, 70 officials on staff with the whole pipeline waiting, that's just a fraction of the league. So it's already a different type of thing, whereas college has an abundance of jobs, but if your single-minded purpose is officiating in the NBA, you really have a narrow lens of what you can do in terms of your opportunities. But, you know, having said that, what do you think about that particular quote, most people give up and be so close within the lens of officiating? That is very common in officiating because the grind is so real. People look for any reason to give up, in my opinion. I was talking to somebody today about He's a coach, and he was talking about officials. He was like, I know it's some mental health things that you guys have to do for that. I would never want to do it. So a lot of people don't understand that officials of any sport, we love that game. That's why we're out there. But if you look at it and you take it past love and you want to make it a career, you have to bring business into the equation. 
And when you do that, that's when you really are able to see if you really want to do it or not. When the money's involved, the paperwork's involved, the meetings, the travel, the flight, the camp, you have to learn the language, the subculture. It's the entire lifestyle that a lot of people, when they get in, they're like, I don't know if I signed up for this. <laughs> Y'all said it was going to be fun. You said it was going to be a part of the game. And that's true. But in any business, there's a cycle like schoolwork. There's a part where you actually have to sit down and grind it out. So I've seen a lot of younger officials, you know, just become impatient. They get burnt out quick because their peer might be 27 and higher than the NBA. So they're looking at it like, well, dang, it's not happening for me. All right, I just find something else to do. Was there a specific instance that happened on the court or off the court that made you think about this particular quote and then made you want to be part of this book? For sure. I had a couple of friends, a lot of potential. And they just gave, they just, they just got tired and gave up. And I kept telling them, like, just hang on. I'm telling you, you have to find reasons to keep going versus looking for a reason out. So that's with anything, though. But one guy that I can think of mine, I won't mention his name. We had a, so we can rewind back. I just found out I was going to be the, uh, be a game reviewer. So at this time, I was still trying out, trying to become, a G League official, but I got this other opportunity to work in the league office, so I'm excited I take it. Now, a guy that's from my area was in the G League, and he was just frustrated. He was seeing peers make it. He was seeing peers get opportunities, and he just felt like he was, you know, getting overlooked. And I was like, man, do not quit. Like, you've invested too many years. Do not quit. Don't quit. Now, mind you, now he's still an official, and he, you know, he's doing well for himself. Great schedule. He's in Power Five conferences, but the D League used to be way smaller than it is now. So the G League used, to, for those that don't know, the G League used to be the NBA developmental program. And at the time, it started from like six teams to all the way now where it's thirty. I think it's thirty now. It should be. But he was in the early stages of of this, and I kept saying, "Just wait, hang on, hang on," because the money was starting to pick up because they're getting more sponsors and more investors into the league. So. He walks away, and I tell you, maybe uh, two seasons later, there's a spike in raise, and he would have made big jump in his salary. A couple years after that, we ran into each other, and he was like, man, you told me not to give up. <laughs> like, you told me. I was like, I tried to tell you. Like, I, I knew that change was coming because the NBA was taking the developmental league serious, and they were starting to really invest in it. So I was telling him, you've invested too. Don't cash out now. Like, your stock market's about to boom. Like, just wait. Take these small little L's, but you it's about to be worth it at the end of the day. So just sitting back and reflecting on that story and then a couple other friends that I know for a fact that they still were doing it, they would have great schedules. It's just, I was like, I got to put it in here because I don't want people just giving up because their timeline, something didn't happen on their timeline. Like, life doesn't work that way at all. Yeah, especially in this officiating game, because there's just too many twists and turns for you to ever think that you're ever in control of anything outside of <laughs> within the parameters of what you can do, i.e. your diet, your training, your mm -hmm. sharpness of an acuity of your intellect of officiating. Definitely can't control where you go or any of those types of things. Only so much control. But when I think of that particular quote, it harkens me back to this book that I read at the tender age of 25, this is literally the first book that I ever read, like on my own accord, that wasn't like an assignment for school or anything like that. 
And it's a funny story. I was playing this fantasy football league. My cousin's boyfriend at the time, we were both in the final. So it was like week 17 and winner was going to win like, like $1,500. The loser was going to win 500. So we both won. And I just remember this was like the first year of plasma TVs. And he had like this ensconced right next to those, that big plasma TV. He had a bookshelf and he had, I don't know, like maybe like 200 books on both sides. And it looked very huxtable-ish to me. And I was just like, yo, what's up with what's up with these books, bro? And he was like, oh, man, knowledge is power. I was like, that's that's all nonsense, man. I'm smarter than you. <laughs> I go to grad school. I got like four jobs. I write for Newsday. Like, I'm killing it. And I never read a book ever. And I sounded very Kanye at the time. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, no, nah, I'm telling you, man, knowledge is power. And I was like, no. Nah. And so this guy goes up to the bookcase and he hands me these four books. And I'll never forget it. I'm like, yo, I'm not reading this. He's like, trust me, just read this one book and just read the first chapter. If it doesn't change your life after the first chapter, then you could just return them. I said, all right, man, I'll give him that only because he was so persistent that night. He ended up winning the the, uh, fantasy football league. So I had $500 and four books that I was like assigned reading. So first book I read, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill came out, I think like 1904 or something like that. But the second chapter, I think, was called Three Feet from Gold. And it's very similar to the quote that you have in the book. And it's basically about this guy who got all this equipment because he heard about the California gold rush of the 1840s. He gets all of this equipment, tries to find gold in the mountains. And I mean, he's digging, he's digging, he's digging, he's digging, he's digging. And just when he was about to get it, let's say if we put it on a percentage bar, he's probably like 97% done, 3% away. All he had to do is just dig a little more, maybe like two more weeks. And he would have got it. He gave up because it just was, he, he just had enough. Because just imagine being there for like 200 days, digging and digging, you don't see none. So he gives up. He liquidates all of his equipment, gives it to somebody. Somebody goes on that same path, digs for like two days, and he finds all the gold. And he's like sick to his stomach of how that happened. And what's so crazy about when you first read books like that, because mind you, I've never read a book ever at that time that wasn't a sign. So when I read that, like I literally felt like, I learned more in this one chapter reading about somebody digging for gold than I have ever in life. And it like bugged me out because I started thinking about all those things, just like the things that I mentioned. Like if I practice harder in basketball, maybe I would have got a division three scholarship or something like that. If I never quit viola, I could have been with Yo-Yo Ma. I don't know. And just all those things going through my mind of just thinking about how my mind could have flipped that perspective of being able to be introspective about all of those things that would apply to you. And I think that's been a guiding principle for almost 20 years for me of just continue to just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Truth be told, it sounds like I'm more prim and proper and and polished when it comes to a podcast. I had like two failed podcasts before this where I had no idea what I was doing Mm -hmm. and I was just publishing. So what kept you going? Why did you get, how did you make it to this one? I think giving up is more like, I'm never going to do it again. I never closed the door entirely. All the while, while I was on hiatus of not doing it, you don't realize how much skills you can accrue subconsciously by just kind of like living life. And I think you probably think I'm a crazy man because every time you're texting me, I'm like, yeah, I'm at the beach. Sorry, I'm, I got no service. But like, that's the place where things connect for me. You know what I'm saying? Like I listen to another podcast. I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting way he asked the question or you know, how music is intertwined with something or how this person cut 
to this segment or reading an article in the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN or Fox News or just a myriad of different things. You never know what can influence your style. Just like how me and you speak to and how we vibe, you send me links of things that you like. I send you links of some things that I like. Those things can't help but just be intertwined in something that you're going to do. So when it comes to three feet from gold, I look at it as sometimes if you have that stumbling block, if you are three feet from gold and you don't know it and you're tired of digging, maybe sometimes you got to just go to the beach and think of something else because maybe that's, that's the whole subconscious germinating to the point where you're going to be able to have an active conscious of doing something. And I find that to be true only... When you think of like, you know, sometimes you want something so bad and you try so hard that now you're so rigid about getting something as opposed to being more loose mm. and more adaptable about things. And I think that's what's so applicable with that. When you think about that three feet from gold, can you think of a situation right now where you feel like you're so close and you don't want to give up? Is there a sink or swim moment that you can pinpoint right now? I feel like everything that I'm, I'm invested in is that way. And I feel like the whole... I can't say the whole world, but I feel like America is like that right now. Where we're at that point where we're three feet from gold. You can either just give up, neglect everything that you've been working on, or you can keep a positive perspective and go go after that that uh, three feet. But it's something that you said that really sparked the thought in me. And it's you know you go to the beach, and my beach is just watching basketball. Like that's always been my my escape. My same feeling that you get being on that beach, the smell, the, the environment, the people, the waves, everything. I can sit inside a basketball gym all day. Or I can just sit and watch hours of NBA games. I'm just, I don't know why it's so calming for me, but if I do get into a situation in real life and it could be with building a brand of Elevated Mentor and you just get frustrated because you ran into a some type of hurdle, I, instead of just giving up on myself and everything that I've been working on, I just watch, watch a couple games, watch a couple clips, relax, get <laughs> a new perspective, spark a new thought in my mind or it's something, a creative idea. And I didn't even think of it that way until you said it. And I just, I wonder like if, you know, the people listening, if they could just take a time and ask themselves, what is their beach? Because you're going to need that going forward to get that three feet that you're speaking of. Mm. And the biggest thing for me is, you know, when I wrote it, a lot of this is me talking to myself. So I constantly am telling myself, you cannot control when your moment arrives, right? But you can have faith and prepare for that moment. Like you said, you never know when it's going to happen. You never know what you're practicing for is going to actually happen or not. Like you said in the beginning of this conversation, you have no control over that, especially, especially in the officiating world. But you can have faith that it is going to come when you're ready. So if you spend that same energy preparing and getting ready, you won't have time to think about giving up. I think if you break down both parts of the quote, right? So most people give up. And then if you mm -hmm. take the second part and be so close, I think about if you give up, I think that wondering will eat you alive so much more than if you get it and you fail. Mm -hmm. Right? So I agree. So I, I think about... You know, your whole time in the developmental league, I can't even talk about that, right? And, and it's not its not that that's, that's me or anything, but just more like I think about, like, my greatest failures. It's not even the failures that I had because if you think about it, over time, all failures are pretty laughable <laughs> to me. Um, right. But 
what's not laughable is when you're this close, it doesn't happen, and you wonder about it, and you let it eat you for the rest of your life. Right. So right. For, for me, I would rather get to the G League and fail, and then start having barriers for yourself and saying, uh-huh. you know, I, I think I could have been in the G League, but you know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel like trying out. Like, that's all defense mechanisms, you know what I'm saying? Like, and, yeah. and yeah. I, I feel like there's the transition between, and we talked about this before in a previous podcast, but just more like, when is the failure going to be positive? Because for the most part, when you are a young person that isn't attuned to being resilient and having experiences of deep failure, you know, that's something you get embarrassed about. That's something that you don't really speak on. It's only when you gain the maturity to be able to speak about those failures freely is when you feel Absolutely. free. Can you think of something that you gave up and it just like eats you alive because of the wondering? Honestly, no. I don't. I'm fortunate not to. I've been to levels and just and failed. And you have to have that conversation with yourself that you peak. You know, like you can, you can think about the, that sixth grade right now that's bigger than everybody and killing everybody. But then he gets to high school and he stops growing in ninth grade. Everybody passes. It's just like, it's nothing you can do. Like, you, you just pity. Right. So you just have to be real with yourself and, and find other ways to still be effective. But, no, I haven't. I'm fortunate. It's more so as just a lot of friends and colleagues that I hear talking about giving up. And I'm like... Why? And then when you, when you get them to talk about it, and they're just like, like you just said, oh, man, that's defense mechanism. That's insecurity. Like, mm-hmm. you're afraid that somebody might tell you you didn't get it. Like, it's okay if you're not good enough to get it, right? But you only know if you try. And like you said, if you keep, if you give up in the rest of your life, you just, oh, man, what if? Or I could have. Or when I was your age, I would, nobody wants to hear those Al Bunny stories. <laughs> No, I was going to say Uncle Rico, but that's definitely as appropriate <laughs> for sure. When it comes to music, is there a song that encapsulates this quote for you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, a friend of mine, by his name is Michael Million. He has a song, uh, Tim Boot. It's a great song, and he actually has his line. And I'm driving one of my many long rides during the season, reflecting on where I'm at in my journey. And I hear it. I was like, ooh, yep. <laughs> I can definitely relate to that. And I know so many other people that can relate to that. Mm. So if anybody ever gets the opportunity, Michael Million, Tim Boots, please listen to it. That inspired this quote for sure. Yeah, we'll add that as um, one of the links when we publish this podcast. Absolutely. Um, two songs that I can think of on the graduation album on Kanye, the song Champion. There's this line where he okay. says, giving up is way harder than trying. Once I heard that, man, I had mm. to like stop the car and like write that down somewhere <laughs> because I knew that I was always going to refer to that quote. And you can't, first of all, the line is crazy. And giving up is way harder than trying. It's like, it is. My God. It is. It is, it right? Is. It, it's, and, and, I, and I know firsthand it is because, you know, a lot of referees, we have odd jobs, a lot of us substitute teach or whatever. So, I was um, a one-on-one counselor at an inner-city school in Richmond, and I was assigned this kid, and he would literally go out of his way to do nothing. And I'm like, man, you got me take Like, you're running a hall, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this, spending way, way more energy, you're getting in trouble, you're getting yelled at, and all you have to do is just sit here <laughs> and fill out this worksheet. 
I would help you with the worksheet, man. <laughs> like, I'm, this way is way easier than what you're doing, and then you're going to get rewarded for it. Hmm. You're never going to get rewarded for, for giving up, ever. Well, I don't know. The, the way we're headed, I, you never know, but the world that I grew up in, the times that I grew up in, you, you were not rewarded for giving up. So I was, I'm thankful that I was able to tell that young man that, but it's just you saying that made me remember that. Like, man, I remember my parents would tell me, like, it's harder to get an F than to pass. Like, you have to try. Yeah, you definitely have to, to get an F. Like, an F? Yeah, you got you, <laughs> you gotta, have to try for that. You have to, like, evade. You have to, like, really try to <laughs> evade yourself. Like, you know what? I? Because even if you try, there's no way you can't get a C. And, like, like come on. Yeah, definitely. I raise your hand a couple times, do the homework, they give you a C. <laughs> So I promise the next time we make a quote, it won't be Jay-Z or Kanye. But the final quote that I had for a song was, ironically, on Sunday, a really crazy thing. I was uh, with one of my best friends from back in the day. And you know, we're drinking a little. We're just reminiscing. We always talk about it. We're old heads now. And we turn around, and he turns on NBA TV. And the 2001 NBA Finals, Game 1 is on. Lakers and the Sixers. And it was me and him. We were in a room when I was a kid on my 27-inch Sony Vega TV watching that game amped up that Allen Iverson was just giving him the business. Um, mm-hmm. And at the same time, Jay-Z just came out with a song. And I was like at the time when like his first single was like, that's your single? Come on, man. And then the album would always be fire. But it was H to the Izzo, which I wouldn't say yeah. is my favorite song, but the lyrics are, are, are serious. And the line that I remember is uh, to try and to fail, the two things I hate, succeed in this rap game, the two things that are great. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about somebody that I revere in Jay-Z, to try and to fail, he says, the two things that he hates. And it's like, he hates those processes, but he knows that it's a necessary evil for him to succeed. So the, the negative aspect of things that you have to go through when it's hard, right? Or that, or that part when you're, when you're digging for that gold, where you're like, why am I doing this? That's that moment where you go, you know what, I'm close. I just got to keep going. Yep. Yep. Um, I just want to see where you were in your life when Izzo came out. Interested to see. Blueprint, 01. Hmm, I was in the eighth grade. <laughs> yeah. I was a super, back then, I was an AI from Virginia. So, you know, obviously, I was an Iverson fan. Everybody loved AI. And then everybody loved Jay Z at the time. Hmm. But, Around that point, I was a big Jay-Z fan, knew all of his lyrics, and everybody out there, this is a pro, we, we, I appreciate Kanye West. So that blueprint, to me, is a great album because it was mostly produced by Kanye. Mm. And it was just a perfect introduction. That was a good period. You got AI, you got Kanye's introduction, you got the resurgence, in my opinion, of Jay-Z. You got a couple of albums that were, you mm. know, they weren't to the level that he was expected to perform at, but Blueprint brought him back. Reasonable doubt status, in my opinion. How do you feel about the Blueprint album? Well, first of all, it was a terrible time for fashion because I, I definitely had a Theo Ratliff Atlanta Hawks jersey that went down to my knees. And I also had a... You dress- had two headbands? Two headbands? I never, did the, I never did the two headbands. I did one headband. <laughs> um, I never did the two headbands. I think that was like the next year. I think what was worse... Were you about- iced out? No, never, that, never. That was a super ice state. Yeah, no, that was ice. No. And... I never had an Averex. I never had like a pinwheel hat. I never had any of that stuff. <laughs> I did wear a do rag. 
Ne no, never had any of that stuff. No, no. Because you know what? At the time, I worked at Abercrombie, and that was like the first time I listened to the Blueprint. And the Blueprint to me, I truly think that's when he became Hove. And you could just see yeah. that he was like a master of, of the flow. That was the first introduction in a deep way for Kanye West and Just Blaze. I'm about to listen to that right now, matter of fact, because I always think of like around this time, I always think of the song You Don't Know. And to piggyback what you were saying, it is my second favorite album, and it, it just got eclipsed by 444, but that's another entirely different conversation. But I remember the first day that I heard You Don't Know. I was on my way, believe it or not, at the beach, <laughs> going to the beach, and I remember I saw one of the prettiest girls I've ever seen down the shore and i was like man why is that girl with that dweeb and my friend was like you know why because he had the balls to go up to her you don't got the balls to go up to her and i was like you know what you're right and i, I think how it how it really relates to that quote is like just think about all the hate that i was saying like i didn't put any of that in my hands i don't got the tools like if you got the tools yeah. and you step to them and that's what i'm talking about like that was like literally the turning point of the wondering Right. Like, I'm wondering why she's with him. And my boy just broke it down and said he opened his mouth. He got what he wanted. What are you doing? You out there hating 200 feet away. And I was like, damn, you're right, man. You're right. So that's like 200 feet from platinum right there. The last segment that I wanted to speak on is, you know, I'm just trying to see what you're if you're a movie buff, if you're a mu music buff. I want to see what movie really aligns with this particular quote. Most people give up and be so close. What movie do you think of? You give me an example, let me think on it. So I can think about one of my favorite movies of all time, Kill Bill. First scene, mm -hmm. Beatrix. She gets bucked. She gets, Bill kills her, right? And you're like, what's, what is up with this movie? And then she had the single-minded purpose to kill all of them, all of them. She was not going to give up. And, you know, she, she was so close to dying. And she was the definition of just, like, going all the way. You know, you could just see the whole time, the, just her body language, just her tenacity, especially if you watch Kill Bill 2, when you see how innocent she is, when she's learning all of the, all the Bill's tricks and when she's getting trained compared to like when she is trained and trying to kill him. I mean, she just is focused and you see the difference. You see the mentality that needs to carry out a goal. And of course, we're talking about very morbid things of somebody assassinating, but that's basically the Mamba mentality. In fact, I think first person that she killed on the list was the Black Mamba, which was uh, Vernita Green, Vivica Fox. And what's really cool is that I feel like those Quentin Tarantino movies, even though it's so bombastic and it's always filled with gore and blood, there's always like a hidden meaning. And I think a lot of those meanings is I just respect Quentin Tarantino cinematically, thematically, just the way he's influenced by so many different things. I just really admire it as, as a person that's a creative person because you could you could tell that you know, he really takes his art. He takes it so seriously and he just doesn't want to mess it up for himself personally. And I think there's something to be said artistically for somebody that, you know, really puts his art out there and goes to tell a whole story. And think about it. I'm, t I'm trying to tell you, like, there's a moral in a story of, of somebody that's trying to assassinate everyone. Um, <laughs> Are you a fan of the movie Above the Rim? Yeah, I, I like that movie. I never really sat back and watched it the like in the movie. I always saw like at TBS with the commercials, so it never really like <laughs> right. hit me the right way. For me, I probably seen that movie. I don't know how many times, but Thomas Shepard, like he was the the legend that everybody in the neighborhood knew was gonna make it, but for whatever reason he didn't. He quit, left. But just watching 
him. And I know for a fact that movie, he spent all of his majority of his life after high school having a what if, eat him up, eat him alive, eat him alive. And um, that's a dope movie anybody has not seen Above the Rim. If you love basketball, you would definitely love that movie. It's so many instances that we can probably think about with just from a personal standpoint, people that we can know, you know, without naming names that you watch them give up and then something happens to you like, ah, I knew that was a bad look. I told you, but it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. You just have to learn from it. I don't know. How, how did you learn in, in your, I want to hear your opinion on this. Because for me, when I talk to the, my friends that have given up and they were so close, do you think it's like a, it's just basically solely fear? That's tough to answer. I do think that it's deeply motivated by fear, though, because of the fear of rejection, especially like I think in the officiating world. I think it's such a weird competitive space. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're all mm -hmm. competing for the same thing, but yet we're friends. So it's like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy does this, this guy. It's like all about the tale of the tape. This guy has done X amount of games. This guy's in this division, this guy. And it's like you're just constantly comparing yourself. And I feel like when you come from a position of strength, position of confidence, that you feel like you're going to do this and everyone thinks highly of you, when that opportunity doesn't work out, I think it's the fear of having to tell everyone that it didn't work out. As opposed to just being like, yeah, it didn't work out. And, you know, maybe that's my own defense mechanism of saying that's why I do 11 sports. Because if you care solely about basketball, I still got baseball. You know what I'm saying? I still got flag football. I still got lacrosse. And I don't know if that's a defense mechanism for me, being a, a person that officiates multiple sports. But I think there is definitely some truth into the fear that you haven't accomplished your goal and the fear of the rejection and then the fear of letting your peers know that it didn't work out. What do you think it is? Do you think it's more fear-based or do you think it's more they didn't want it? I think it's, it's, it's a combination of both, but I also think, so like you can, there are certain things that motivate certain people. So some people just a pure emotion, like the passion. They can say, oh, it's not fun anymore. I don't love it anymore. So then that can cause them to do that. Or it can just be, and I understand because the industry is very, it's just challenging at times. It's a real grind. And I'm not telling that for people to start thinking about it, giving up. But if you don't have a, a good mentor, then you really don't know why you're not advancing. If you're just thinking that it's about how you look in uniform or what plays you got right, you're strongly mistaken. It's, mm. it's an industry. It's, it's a business. You are a brand. So you have to treat yourself like a company and look at yourself and do evaluations of your brand. You have to understand what it is that a signer is uh, looking for. Then you have to establish solid relationships, so networking, all while still being good. Mm. So if you don't have a good mentor, you can just say, well, man, I started with Ralph and he's doing this and I'm not doing that. Why, why am I not doing that? Well, they don't know before you go to bed, you're watching tape or you knew this person who's best friends with that person who introduced you to this opportunity. So you, you, you have a networking aspect. They really don't know what you're doing. So I think it's just a lack of knowledge on top of fear, on top of they really didn't want to do it in the first place. So I understand the people who give up officiating. Trust me, I do. But I don't want people giving up because their goal was to be a Final Four official and it never happened. Like, again, the numbers say that 
that's probably not going to happen, even if you're really, really good. It's just not that many. It's only, what, four spots. You didn't have a championship game. Mm. Four. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So it shouldn't matter what game you, you work. You should just love servicing the game of basketball or serving the game of basketball. That should just be your love. Mm. And it's just an added bonus to be able to say you worked at this school or officiated that player. But for me, I just love refereeing basketball, period. Adult league, kids, anything. I just love making decisions and being a part of the game. It's another way to be competitive and also make sure that the game is played the right way. Mm. Yeah, me too. I, I love the game just as much as you do. And my parting shot for everyone is I really think about a GPS when I think of this, right? So you have the destination, but if you make a wrong turn, the GPS adjusts. And sometimes you get right. to another place. And then sometimes the GPS is telling you you want to go to Chick-fil-A. But in between, you stop by and you see Wendy's and you're like, you know what? I'm going to just go to Wendy's. So it's okay. It's okay to detour sometimes. It's okay to be three feet from gold and then start another route. I hope that when somebody listens to this, if I definitely implore them that if they're going to quit this game, at least let it be something that's meaningful, not something where it's, mm. it's, it's intrinsically something that you're embarrassed about. Let it be, right. let it be a good reason. Right? Let it be a good reason. Right. You have any final words you want to say before we part ways? I just want to close with, you can't control when your moment arrives, but you can have faith and prepare for the moment. Just sit with that. Think about it. Before you give up, think about how much you love it. And find your beach if you ever do think about giving up. This is a great session. Um, I hope everybody likes this episode like they did the last one. And I'm excited to see how this thing keeps rolling out. Yeah, me too, man. And for everybody out there, we appreciate you listening to it. Happy 4th of July weekend. And hopefully super spread this like a virus, but don't do any super spreading events this weekend. Everybody stay safe <laughs> this weekend, man. But for uh, Ray Bullock Jr., Elevated Mentor, this is Ralph the Ref. This is Tales from the Third Team. We're out of here. Peace.